you would this morning, let's go to Colossians chapter 3. I appreciate that good singing. That's, that last one is one of my all-time favorites. I love singing those songs that just have so much rich theology in them, rich truth, and uh, that's certainly one of them. I'm glad we've got something to stand on this morning. Colossians chapter 3, uh, we're halfway through the book of Colossians, and I know most of you are probably saying, that's it. <laughs> But uh, I've gone through fairly quickly, I, I think anyway, by my standards. But um, we've seen that Colossians is one of the prison epistles written by the Apostle Paul. And he is writing in response to his friend Epaphras, who founded the church at Colossae. And Epaphras was concerned, not necessarily of anything that was going on in the church, but because there was so much apostasy and false teaching uh, in Colossae, and he wanted to just kind of head that off of the past. He wanted to make sure that didn't find its way into the church. And certainly that's always the battle, isn't it? To keep the church above the, de- the decaying culture around it. Uh, you know, the, the church does the most for the world when we're least like the world. And personally, I don't understand uh, having a church that really just doesn't believe anything, doesn't stand on anything. If we didn't have anything different than what I see Monday through Saturday, we just need to shut the doors. I'd just stay in bed, you know. But I'm thankful today that we do have something better. We do have something solid. We've got the truth. We've got the Word of God. And specifically the things that Paul was addressing, uh, two main false teachings, legalism and mysticism. And, you know, both of those can kind of paint a picture of somebody being super spiritual. And we saw last week in the last part of chapter 2 that he was talking to saved people. He was saying because you are saved, because you do know the gospel, you do know Christ, because of these things, don't be deceived by this uh, legalism and mysticism. You know, just because you keep certain man-made rules, that doesn't make you more right with God. And just because you claim to have some type of supernatural revelation, some type of vision, uh, you know, something that evidently is more exciting than the Bible, that doesn't make you more spiritual. And that's exactly who he's dealing with. Like I said, I do believe that Christians can and are deceived by these things. But I would be very cautious and very careful about somebody who's been wrapped up in those things for a long time and they've never seen it for what it is. There's no discernment there. I'd be very concerned about that. Uh, But Paul was making sure they weren't deceived by these things. And as we get into chapter 3 and 4, you know, Paul, he really follows a pattern in most of his epistles. We've seen it in Ephesians. Uh, It's certainly here in Colossians. It's in Romans. It's in a lot of his epistles. And that is, he starts off with these themes of great theology and, uh, and the gospel and who Christ is and all of these wonderful things And then toward the end of his books, usually about halfway through, he changes gears and he wants you to take that great knowledge of Christ and act it out and live it out in your daily life. And no doubt when we know these things and when we know Christ on a personal, intimate level, it's going to change the way that we live. It's going to change the way that we think. It's going to change our passions and pursuits if we're... Conscious of God. Brother Derek preached on that this morning. It was good. And uh, how fitting it is what we're going to see today. And 
This is where Paul begins to change gears here in Colossians 3. This is one of my favorite texts of the Bible. There's some texts that just preach themselves. And that's one of them this morning. So let's read the Word of God together. Uh, Chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. We're so thankful uh, for this church, the family that You've given us. We're thankful for this opportunity You give us to come in a nice, uh, warm building this morning and just hear Your Word and also to sing these wonderful songs and be with the saints. And Lord, I I won't ever take that for granted. Lord, I'm so thankful for the opportunities you give us. We lift up those that are sick that might not could be here this morning. I pray that you give them a special blessing and courage and help them. Uh, Lord, I do pray that you would empty me of sin and self and just fill me with your Holy Spirit, that preaching would be powerful and clear and that Christ would be magnified. Just take us where we are and show us where we need to be. It's in Christ's name I pray these things. Amen. This morning, I want to preach on the thought of heaven on earth heaven on earth. Now, <clears throat> you've certainly heard that expression, I'm sure at some time in your life, and when we hear that expression, we tend to think about probably maybe a beautiful beach on the Caribbean somewhere. Uh, we certainly don't think of snowy mountain resorts, certainly not any, maybe when I was in Alabama, I didn't have to deal with it. We, we, don't, th- we don't think about that anymore. It's all warm, tropical climates. That's <clears throat> heaven on earth. You know, the Bible talks about heaven on earth. It really does. We, we see it here in the text this morning, but it has nothing to do with any of those things. But we're going to look at what it does say. Uh, the fact is that when I say heaven on earth, I'm not talking about our best life now. I'm not talking about a beach. I'm not talking about health and wealth. I'm talking about a life that represents the kingdom of heaven on this earth. 2 Corinthians 5 uh, and verse 20 calls us ambassadors for Christ. And if you think about what an ambassador is and what they do, uh, they represent their nation in another nation. That's exactly what we are. If we're saved, we're citizens of heaven, and we are living, breathing representatives of heaven on earth. We are representatives of our home country of heaven. I just hope we represent it well. That's the prayer. And in fact, when you think about it, when Christ gave the model prayer, which is really as much a model for living as it is for praying, uh, He said that we should pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That was what Christ said about the model prayer. And the only way that there can be heaven on earth is through Spirit-filled believers. As Christians, we do need to live with our head in the clouds and our feet on the ground. We do need to live with our head in the clouds. We don't need to be stuck in this world. And there ought to be a difference between God's people and the lost in the way that we live, the way that we talk, the words that we use, the way that we dress, the way that we serve one another, our attitudes, our joy and compassion for our neighbor, Uh, the way that we treat our family, 
Uh, we ought to be different. There ought to be a difference in God's people. So the, the question that I really want to wrestle with today is by the grace of God, how can we bring a little bit of heaven to this earth? We need it, don't we? We see enough hell throughout the week on the news and social media and just living life. We need to bring heaven to this earth. Well, the first way that I believe that we can do that is number one, by a heavenly perspective, having a heavenly perspective. Look at verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ, understand this is, this is the transitional statement in the book of Colossians. He's been dealing with who Christ is for two whole chapters now. He's been dealing with who we are in Christ, and then he poses this challenge to us. If you then be risen with Christ, seek. He begins with an action verb. <laughs> All right, you know Christ, you love Christ, what are you going to do about it? He says, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And then he says, set, there's another action verb, set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. And so there's that condition and that challenge of if you are risen with Christ. But what does that mean, to be risen with Christ? I think verse 4 answers that question. When Christ, who is our life? That's it. When you're risen with Christ, obviously it means you're saved, but it also means that He is our life. I thought about what Paul said in Philippians 1 and verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Everything in Paul's life was about Christ. And in other words, if we... Uh, pursue the things that we're passionate about, uh, the, you know, the things that captivate our mind. You know, there, there's an old saying that says, our feet can never take us where our mind has never been. Our feet can never take us to where our mind has never been. That's true of sinful things. It's true of temptation. But it's also true of good things, heavenly things, right things. Our feet can never take us where our mind has never been. We... Uh, we pursue the things that we're passionate about, the things that captivate our mind. And how many times have we seen someone win some type of championship or award or maybe they accomplish a, a lifetime goal or an achievement and in their interview, maybe in the post-game or maybe in their acceptance speech, they use the phrase, this is a dream come true. You ever heard somebody say that? Well, this is a dream come true. You know what they're saying? I've thought about this for a long time. And it happened in my mind a long time before it happened in reality. And uh, when it comes to our passions, our goals, and our dreams, man, this is so important. When, it, when he talks about the affection here, he's talking about the things that get our heart, the things that get our passions. And when it comes to our passions and our dreams, we either have the opportunity to have God-centered passions or me-centered passions. There's no such thing as people with absolutely no passion at all. Now, definitely there's some times I believe people can go through seasons of discouragement and depression where maybe they don't care about things like they used to. But for somebody to walk through this life and never care about anything, I've never met one. The question is, what are we concerned about? What are we passionate about? Now listen, when I talk about having God-centered passions, 
and I talk about selling out to the will of God and being obedient to the will of God, I'm not saying that you have to get rid of everything that you love. You don't have to do that. Now, there's some things, if they go against the Bible, yeah, we need to get rid of them. If it goes against the Word of God, we know it's not the will of God. There's some things we don't even have to pray about. If God's already told us His will on the matter and His mind on the matter, there's no sense in asking what He thinks about it. He's already told us. So we don't have to, but, but we don't have to leave and forsake everything. I've met well-meaning Christians, most of them young in the faith, where they felt like living for Christ meant they had to get rid of everything they enjoyed, as if God had called us to be absolutely miserable our whole lives, you know. Look, we don't have to, get, we don't have, to have an Amish mentality. It's not going to make us closer to God if we get rid of our air conditioner and our car and everything else. I ain't planning on doing it anyway, amen. <laughs> Or we don't have to be like Simeon Stalites. He was a Christian in the 4th century. And I'm not making this up. You can look this up. The last 37 years of his life, he lived on a little tiny platform atop of giant pole because he thought that isolation made him closer to God. 37 years, he never came down. He had people that would, you know, raise his food up to him. And 37 years, he lived atop a pole. And I'm thinking to myself, I wonder how much good for Christ he did. That's not what God is calling us to do. And unfortunately, when he got to heaven, he probably found out about that. When God said, hey, what did you do for me? Well, I was on a pole for 37 years. God's not calling us to do that. Uh, what it does mean, though, talking about selling out to the will of God, is that we need to make sure that our desires align with God's desires. That, that our desire would be to live in the will of God by being obedient to the Word of God. And, you know, being in the will of God, it doesn't mean, as I said, that we give up our passions, but it does mean that we use our passions for the glory of God. Now, if you love to write, write for the glory of God. You say, well, how and what does that mean? Well, that's, between, that's a beautiful thing. That's between you and God. Lord, how can, I, how can I use this for your glory? And you would be surprised how many specific doors He would open for you to do just that. That's, that's one of the greatest joys of the Christian life is seeing how He uses the desires that He put in your heart to glorify Him. And in fact, I think it's a boring life to live for anything but the glory of God. It's boring. Everything you work for dies with you. You can't take it with you when you die, but when you live for the glory of God, you're laying up treasure in heaven. It never goes away. Thieves can never steal it. It can't be rusted. It can't be degraded. And so we can use the passions and desires that God gives us in line with His Word to serve and glorify Him. Um, if, you, uh, if you love singing, how can you sing for the glory of God? You love playing an instrument. Play it to the glory of God, uh, whether it's art. You know, I, I know that um, when we talk about spiritual gifts, most people tend to only think of a few things, right? A pastor, maybe a Sunday school teacher, um, you know, along those lines. But a lot of the gifts that God gives us are very practical. In fact, if you go look in Romans 12 sometimes, I encourage you to do that. Romans 12 has a list of spiritual gifts. It's not the one that's focused on most, but it tells us gifts he gives, very practical things. And one word he uses is our ministry. 
Well, the word, all that ministry means is to help, to help. And so uh, you can use your talents, your passions, your gifts, not only to bring glory to God, not only to edify the church and build up the church, but also to help your neighbor. That's what God has equipped us to do. Uh, you know, even if it's something like cooking, you say, well, that's not a spiritual gift. Listen, I've, <laughs> I've tasted some food. It was spiritual, okay? Uh, but I mean, honestly, I, I think about um, a dear a saint by the name of Brenda Meek. Uh, she was one of our members at Little Sandy, and her husband, James, uh, man, just loved him to death. Uh, you could not be around James Meek and not laugh. It was impossible. And James Meek got real sick. And they thought he had bronchitis, but he never could get better. And he goes to the doctor, and they, they finally realize he has lung cancer. And they say, well, Mr. Meek, uh, you you got about six months to live. So he goes home, and within about 48 hours, he gets a lot worse. And he has to go back to the hospital. They say, well, Mr. Meek, you know that six months we talked about? It's more like six days. So they took him to West Alabama Hospice there uh, in Tuscaloosa. And people don't go there to get better. They go there to die. And he, he, was, he was actually, he's the only person that I've ever sat with in hospice. That when they took him to that hospice facility, he was very much aware of what was going on around him. He knew where he was going and he knew why. Most people when they get there, they don't know anything. And he actually sat up in the bed the last day that he could do that. He sat up in the bed and prayed for us. <laughs> Are you kidding me? type of man that he was and they said that they gave him about six days and he lasted six days and that's a when you're in that place for six days just waiting I mean every breath every sound I mean if y'all have been there you know what I'm talking about and he passed away and you know that that place is you know hospice is not a place that I just want to hang out you know it's such a, a bad situation they actually require that the nurses swap out every three months and I, you know, I thought to myself, I'm not coming back here unless I have to. But his, his wife, Brenda Mink, she loves to cook. She's good at it. And do you know that the Saturday after his funeral, she started bringing food to the families at hospice that are waiting on their loved ones to pass away. And she's been doing that for years. Every week for years she did that because she got a heart for that. She knew what that felt like. She knew what it was like to sit in their place and she used her talent to not only encourage other people, but she would leave gospel tracts there. And you might not think that's spiritual, but I promise you it is. And I promise you, if you ever had her peach cobbler and ice cream, you would know it was spiritual. <laughs> but you see how practical that is? And yet there's a a spiritual connotation to it. And we don't often think in these terms, Lord, how can I use that for the glory of God? Hey, bring food to a grieving family and see how much it blesses their heart. Bring food to Scott this week when Robin's down and he'll go, glory to God, hallelujah. Amen. Or, um, you know, even something as simple as this, now I'll be honest, I love preaching. But I've sat through a lot of sermons that I, I just forgot about. I couldn't tell you a thing about it. I've forgotten a lot of sermons. But there's some things I've never forgotten. I remember uh, me and Leah, we hadn't been married probably two and a half years, and we had two babies. Well, I guess we married three years. We had two babies in diapers. I don't recommend trying that at home. 
And it's just, it's a different life. And I think you, in the moment, you lose track of how much it affects you. And we had gone to this uh, Bible conference or something, you know, trying to just get recharged, trying to hear some preaching and, and enjoy some fellowship. And they had this meal afterwards. And, you know, I think I had Wesley and she's got Allison. And, you know, when you're going through a line like that for four people, you almost have to have eight arms to make it work. And it's, it's stressful. You know, you go through it, but it's stressful. And I'll never forget this total stranger who was a member of the church we were visiting. She tapped on our shoulder and said, Sir, ma'am, do you mind if we, you know, kept your kids and we watched them so y'all can eat? And they took, them, they took our kids out of our arms and, like, not only was that physical weight taken off of me, but it was like I just wanted to, like, hug their neck. I think Leah teared up. I mean, and I've never forgotten about that. And it's so practical... But it's so real, and it's so down to earth, and all it was, I think about Romans 12, talking about the ministry and the help and the kindness and compassion that is mentioned in that chapter uh, being spiritual gifts. But we don't think about like We don't think about that. In fact, most Baptists, when you throw a spread in front of them like that, they ain't thinking about but one thing. <laughs> Get out of my way, elbows, you know, you know, building their... It's not a play, it's a pyramid. <laughs> And, uh, and I'm, not, I, I'm probably meddling now, ain't I? <laughs> but really, we don't think about that. And even when people come here, even when people visit, even when we have things going on or when we're at the grocery store or the restaurant, we're, we're not often geared to think that way. But how are we going to bring heaven to earth? How are we going to represent Christ if we're not being Christ of the people? It's not always super spiritual. It's... It's the down-to-earth things that make a real difference in people's lives. Um, I mean, I think about even something like uh, uh, Cindy opening her home to us. You know, we, uh, when we moved here, it was like that. I mean, Leah felt better in this environment. I knew that. She had to get out of here, out of Alabama. And uh, we didn't know anybody over here. We didn't have a chance to buy a house. And, and she let us stay in her house for two months. She went and stayed with her dad. And she had never even met us. If she had, there's no doubt she wouldn't let us stay in the house. <laughs> but I've never forgotten that. Those are the things you don't forget. That, that's being Christ to somebody with the resources that God has given you. And if we, if we thought about life in those terms, God, you have given me resources to, to bring you glory and to bring others good, if we really thought about it that way, it would change the way that we live. In fact, I triple dog dairy, which means you have to do it. Go ask God to bless you with resources to be used by and for Him. You better watch out when that happens because I've seen God do some amazing things when you do that. Um, I mean, I think about, uh, you know, even... Even something as simple as, as sewing for somebody or, uh, you know, even, even something like uh, that Andy did. You know, when, when my friend Wes and his family came, uh, he made it a point to, to take the ATVs up in the mountains, up to Mount Willard, you know. Uh, to me, it's the most beautiful view I've seen since I've been here. I didn't even know this till after they left. But they're, they're going through some really tough times right now. And that was a huge blessing to them. They will never forget that. I know those kids will never forget that because they about froze to death. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you had to do that, 
I mean, there's no telling how much money somebody would pay to come to the mountains and do something like that. And, you know, I think about a friend of mine, Kerry Nelson. Uh, he's, he's an avid hunter. He's an outdoorsman. He's good at it. And, and about, I guess it's been about 20 years ago, he began asking God. He didn't have much money. He began to ask God, Lord, would you provide me with some land to hunt on and I'm going to use it for your glory. He started taking uh, handicap, having hunts for the handicapped in wheelchairs, people that maybe not even in church. And he takes them and he feeds them and he gives them the gospel. And before you know it, people began to find out what he's doing and he began to get phone calls from landowners. And now he has almost an unlimited amount of land to hunt on in North Mississippi. Uh, he'll take missionaries and preachers or you know, maybe people that just need to get away for a little bit. And I'm, it's really it's an incredible ministry. You say, well, hunting's not a ministry. Okay. Well, you see how he does it, and you know that it is. And, and so the question is, Lord, what have you gifted me with, and how can I use it uh, for your glory? Um, our passions give us an opportunity to either promote self or promote Christ. And I think we see this contrast even in verse 2. He said, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. We see that contrast there. Uh, one of the greatest treasures in the Christian life is understanding that God gives us desires by which to glorify Him, and then He grants those desires. Uh, I love Psalm 37, 4 and 5. It would be a great text to memorize. But He says, Delight thyself also in the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall give thee the desires of thy heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. He's not being repetitive. He's saying that if you're in line with God, He's going to give you desires in your heart. He's going to place His desires in your heart and make them your desires. But He doesn't stop there. Not only does He give you desires, but then He'll bring those desires to pass. He'll give you those desires and then He'll grant you those desires. That is the greatest treasure of the Christian life. When you put something in your heart, and you pray about those things and commit your way unto the Lord, and then He brings it to pass. You know, when I was uh, 17 years old, you know, the first, I got saved at 14, and I genuinely loved the Lord. He completely changed my life. But for the first three years of my Christian life, I really didn't think about things in terms of God has something He wants me to do. I never really thought about that. But when I was 17, God really began to deal with my heart about preaching, and I thought it was so strange because I don't have any preachers in my family. It's not, it's not really something I thought about. And it, it drove me crazy because I wanted to so bad, and it's not something I could just walk away from. And I remember asking my pastor, how do you know if God is calling you to preach? And he kind of grinned that grin, which I, I know when he does that, I'm in trouble. But he said, if you can do anything else, do it. And then he walked away like I wasn't even standing there. And I, I thought that was the craziest bit of advice I'd ever heard. But then I realized later on he was absolutely right. He was saying, if you can get away with doing anything else, if you can be happy doing something else besides preaching, you're not called to preach. And that ought to be the way that it is with what God has called each and every one of us to do individually. God, what have you called me to do? What have you equipped me to do what are your desires for my life? I want my desires to be your desires. And 
One more thing before I move on. My, don't worry, my next two points are not nearly as long as this first one. Well, I, I don't think they will be. <laughs> but here's something that we have to get before we move on. The level of passion that we have for the Lord will be limited to the position that He holds in our hearts and minds. We cannot miss the statement that Paul makes here. Look at verse 1 again. He said, If you then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above. Look at what he says here. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Do you see how, Christ, do you see how Paul challenges us to seek the things that are above? And then he says, where Christ is exalted on the throne. You see, our passion for Christ will never exceed the position that He holds in our heart. If He's not exalted in our hearts and in our minds, if He's really not that big of a deal, it's going to show in the way we live our life. You know, every time in the Scripture somebody got a glimpse of the exalted, of the exalted Christ, it changed everything. Think about Isaiah 6. He saw Christ high and lifted up on the throne. His train filled the temple and He fell down and said, Oh, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And then, uh, then the Lord is asking for somebody. It, I, I always found this interesting. He didn't just flat out say, Isaiah, I'm commissioning you to go do this. He says, I'm needing somebody, just somebody out there in the crowd, you know, uh, to go and preach judgment for me. And <laughs> Isaiah says, ooh, me, send me, Lord, I'll go. And Lord, okay. And then we love that. Here I am, Lord, send me. But we don't often focus on the verses after that. God essentially tells Isaiah, okay, but before you go, you need to know this. They're not going to listen. They're going to hate you. They're going to curse you. Nobody's going to repent. Uh, and he, he didn't tell Isaiah this, but history tells us that Isaiah was eventually sawed in half from his groin to his head. That's how he left this world. And that's the ministry that he was calling Isaiah to. Do you think Isaiah's ministry would have been very successful by today's standards? God said it was because he was faithful to do what he called him to do. And when we see Christ for who He is, we don't even think about the consequences anymore because it doesn't matter because they just, they just wane in comparison to the bigness of God, the exalted place that God holds. But is He exalted in your life and in your mind and in your heart? Do you think about Christ when making your daily decisions? What, what about your long-term goals? See, I, I hope and pray that both your daily decisions and your long-term goals are wrapped and saturated in the glory of God. If it's not, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. For the people of God, there ought to be a transcendent cause that guides our life. There ought to be something outside of us that's bigger than us that we're living for instead of just living for self. That's, that's the mark of a humanist society. It's all about self. Everything begins itself and works its way out, and it's done wonders for our society, wouldn't you say? If all of this happens, there will be some heaven on earth, but we have to have a heavenly, transcendent perspective. That has to be in our mind's eye. But then number two, if we're going to bring heaven to earth, we're going to have to have a heavenly position. Look at verse 3. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now that's kind of a strange concept, isn't it? 
we're dead and yet we're living. I guess it would be biblically accurate to say that for the Christian, we're dead men walking, dead women walking. We're dead and yet we live. We say, what does it mean to be dead in Christ and yet live? I think there's two aspects to it. This is really important. What does it mean to be dead in Christ? First of all, there's a, I believe it's the aspect of the legal pardon. Uh, I'm not going to get in deep into this because I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. But when you're dead, every trespass against you is gone. The state can't hold you liable if you were to raise again from the dead after being illegally dead. They can't punish you when you fulfilled your sentence to society. Well, our sins died in Christ. They were judged in Christ. And so He died the death that we deserve, and yet we're living. So we're completely pardoned. God has nothing on us. Our sins have been washed away. We did the crime. Christ did the time, so to speak. He, he paid for our sin on the cross. So to be dead in Christ means our sins have been eradicated. But then the second part of being dead in Christ, not only a legal pardon, but a life commitment. Um, if our life is hidden with Christ, it means that we live in such a way that He is elevated and not us that He gets the glory and not us. I think about John the Baptist in uh, John 3 and verse 30 when, when he was speaking of Christ. He said, He must increase, but I must decrease. What a humble thing to do. The reason he said that is because some of his disciples came to him and said, Hey, John, you know, at one time you were preaching to these big crowds out here in the desert. You were baptizing them right and left, and now Jesus shows up and they're all leaving you for Him. And he said, Good. That's what needs to happen. He needs to increase, and I must decrease. What a humble thing to do. Paul is again reminding us of our heavenly position in Christ. If someone isn't in Christ, they're going to have no desire to live for Christ. And another note we need to get here is people are so selfish and deceived that many times people commit to a dead religion because it brings glory to themselves. Listen, Paul just dealt with legalism and mysticism, and both of those, even though legalism and mysticism, at least by the eye test, look totally different, they're really one and the same because they both bring glory to self. The legalist would walk around in these giant robes and you know, pray the, the public prayers. Oh, I'm so thankful I'm not as this publican. I, you know, I pray and I fast so many times a week and look at me. That's what the legalist, look at all the rules that I'm keeping. Look at me. It's not about the Lord. It's not about Christ. The, the mystics that, that have all this uh, extra biblical revelation and, oh, well, God speaks to me and God told me, well, that makes them the authority. Listen, if you're out somewhere... Maybe you're on vacation and maybe you're looking for a church to attend while you're gone and, uh, you know, you stumble into a place and that preacher gets in the pulpit and says that God told me or the Lord told me or spoke to me. You just need to get up and head out to the car because the Scriptures are no longer His authority. And so He's the authority. And, you know, the mystics, I think about all the speaking in tongues that people so-called do and the slain in the Spirit and all these things that you, people see and they look at that and say, wow, that person is spiritual. It's not about Christ. It's about look at us. And yet people do that and they think they're doing God a favor. 
You get to talking to the LDS around here, they have no problem with a basic gospel presentation. But you get to talking about the things that they're really putting their faith in and it will light their world on fire. It's not about Christ. It's not about Christ. Listen to the words they say. It's not about Christ. It's about the church. It's about the apostles. It's about the vision of Joseph Smith. It's about the ordinances. It's about the baptism and the priesthood and the temple recommend. It's not about Christ. It's about them. Look at me. Those guys, those missionaries we talked to on the couch a few weeks ago, I let them talk for a long time, and I took note of all the words they used and phrases they used to describe what they believed. Well, you have to walk worthily. You have to endure to the end. You have to live a good enough life. Exact phrases they use. It's not about Christ. It's about us. It's about them. So I hope that your Christianity is actually about Christ and not about you. And if you have no desire to live for Christ, you ought to be asking why. Because the glory of man, 1 Peter 2 and verse 24, says, For all flesh is as grass. And all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. The glory of man is like a flower. It's like grass. And it's here for a season, but as we know, seasons change and you can't see it anymore. That's how the glory of man is. It's here for a short time and it's gone. It's done for. It's worthless. So... If you don't live for Christ, it may be because you don't know Christ because you're not in Christ. We need to examine ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith. We cannot bring heaven to earth if we don't have a heavenly position in Christ. But then number three, and I'm done. Y'all are not amening very fast this morning. Number three, if we're going to bring heaven to earth, we're going to have to have a heavenly pursuit. Look at verse 4. When Christ... Man, I love this. I just love how the Scripture is just so plain. Paul is just so plain. Uh, He just uses such sharp, forceful, clear language. He didn't say, if Christ, maybe, sort of, kind of. He said, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Not maybe. Shall appear. Then shall you also appear with Him in glory. Now, obviously, he said that as Christians, we're dead and our life is hid with Christ, and that's a good thing. I I hope that when people see me, they see Christ. But he says, when we see Him, and we go to the judgment seat of Christ, and He's doling out crowns and rewards, we're going to share in His glory, uh, not a sinful sharing of glory, and understand nothing that He... We're going to get nothing that He doesn't give us. But He promised that if we suffer with Him, we'll reign with Him. And in the millennial kingdom, there will be no question about who really walked with Him in this life. Now, that's a, that can be an exciting challenge, but it can also be kind of unnerving because when we get rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to rule and reign with Him in the millennial kingdom based on the rewards we got at that judgment. And you're going you're gonna to be able to tell. I don't know uh, how he's going to dole it out. I don't know exactly what that looks like. There's a lot of things we're not told. But there's going to be no doubt who really served Christ and who was just posing. 
There's going to be no doubt about that. Now here, people can put on a front. They, they can fool people uh, maybe their whole life if they're good at it. But over there, we're going to know who the princes and who the paupers are. And that's a very challenging thing to me to where... Uh, and I just... I want to be real. I, I want to be right. I want to, I want to live for the Lord. I want to have something uh, to give back to Him. But we're going to know in that day. It's all going to be made plain. And here's the thing we have to get, and I'm almost done. But I want to wrap it up as, as we get into this thought here. For the child of God, our ultimate dream come true is to see the face of Christ and hear Him say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. That ought to be our dream come true. That ought to be the moment where we can honestly say, I've thought about this every day since God saved me. I've thought about this every day since I became a Christian. This moment right here, when I would stand before the one who died for me and shed his blood for me, I dreamed of the day that I would see him and he would say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Understand, we're not saved by our works. Please don't misunderstand me. We're saved by what Christ did. But we are rewarded for our works that we do for Christ. And understand, even then, it's not us doing it. It's Him working in and through us. We can't even take the credit for that. But what I'm saying is, that ought to be our dream come true. That ought to be our pursuit. That ought to be our affection that are set on things above. To hear Christ say that. But unfortunately, even Christians are very nearsighted. And as a result, they're way too content with the things in this world. We're, we're, I think John Piper was the one that said, we're satisfied with way too little. And even when it comes to things that tend to glitter, but may not be gold, I mean, I mean even if you could push a button, and you could have all the money you ever wanted, be a millionaire and have a nice house, or... You know, even uh, you know, if you wanted to be an NFL player and get all the fame or a rock star or a pop star or a movie star, or whatever the case may be, and you get everything that you ever wanted in this life and you die lost, what does it matter? Big whoop. I remember when um, we had our medical trip to Los Angeles and the Cedar sinai Hospital is only about two or three blocks from Hollywood where the Hollywood stars are at, you know, and the, the squares. And uh, I took her out there walking one day to get her out of the hospital. And, and I, I know I'm just a redneck from West Alabama, but I found it interesting that probably at least two or three out of every four or five names I came across, I'd never heard of them. Maybe movie stars from a long time ago, or maybe I just didn't know who they were. And, and I thought, wow. This, I mean, this is it. This is the pinnacle of existence here. If you can get a Hollywood star, you have accomplished something. They probably never thought when they were getting, they had the ceremony and they got their name on the sidewalk there that some redneck from Alabama walk around and go, who's that? Who's this guy? I never heard of them. Well, they were something, weren't they? Glory of man fades like a flower. It fades as the grass. It's worthless. All that's going to melt one of these days with a fervent heat. We ought, we ought to look past that. We ought to look beyond that. And we ought, to, we ought to ask the question, 
Lord, how do my resources, how do my talents and my accomplishments and everything you've given me, how is that bringing glory to you? And how is it bringing good to my neighbor? When you think about the future, where does your mind take you? I mean, really. I'll be honest. A lot of people I meet, I don't think they think past the next 10 minutes. It's all about the moment. It's all about the pleasure of this moment. It's not about the future. It's not about the choices. That, I mean, I see people do that even with their own marriage, but they certainly do it uh, with their eternity. I've seen people just wreck their lives because they're not thinking about anything but this moment right now. But when you think about the future, where does your mind take you? Are you just thinking about work tomorrow? Are you thinking about what you're going to do this weekend or what we're all going to do when this snow finally melts? I mean, what are you, what are you thinking? If, it has, if your thoughts about the future have no eternal values, there's something badly wrong with your heart and your mind. Everything we do as children of God needs to be guided by that heavenly pursuit, that transcendent cause. And if it doesn't end, if your thoughts doesn't end, don't end with you standing before Christ as He reviews your life, you're stopping short of the goal here. So how do we pursue Christ passionately and bring heaven to earth as a result? Just a few things as a primer for next week and I'm done. First of all, you have to make your calling and election sure. In other words, you better make sure you're saved, that you have that heavenly position. Number two, you have to filter your passions by the Word of God. If your passions go against the Word of God, forsake your passions. See, we live in a society that celebrates our passions to the point where our passions become our God. They become the moral barometer of right and wrong. If, you know, whoever you want to sleep with, that's a good thing. What, whoever you want to marry, that's fine, because you want to do it, that makes it righteous. Uh, you want to do this? No. If, if it feels right, do it. That's wrong. We have to measure and filter our passions by the Word of God. But third, we need to pray and seek wisdom about how to use our passions for the glory of God. He tells us to seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, and that's how we bring heaven to earth. The question, we're all, listen, whether you think about it, whether you even know it, if you're saved, you're an ambassador for Christ. But the only question is, are you a good one or not? The only way we can be is by what he just said in this text. Seeking those things that are above, making that our passion and our affection. Where are you at on, the, on that this morning? Because that's really all that matters. And that's the greatest joy in life when we're seeking the will of God, when we're in the will of God. That's the greatest thing that could happen to us. Would you stand as she comes? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the death and burial and resurrection.